Hello, and welcome to The Staffing Show, the only podcast that delivers tools, tips, and tactics from the staffing and recruiting industry's top executives and thought leaders. This episode is brought to you by Staffing Referrals, the only automated referral management platform chosen by smart staffing firms. Tired of wasting money on traditional job boards? Sick of reminding recruiters about promoting your referral program? Wish you could eliminate admin work spent tracking referrals and scheduling interviews? That's where Staffing Referrals comes in. Imagine transforming your entire talent pool into digital recruiters on behalf of your company. Think about how happy you'll make your team by eliminating wasted time spent tracking referrals and scheduling interviews. There's a reason that Staffing Referrals is one of the fastest growing software platforms in our industry. It's because staffing executives want to scale faster by automating recruiting processes. It's because with Staffing Referrals, you can actually see an ROI. And it's because our world is now more digital than ever and your candidates expect you to keep up. Don't get passed by the competition. Stop missing referrals and start recruiting smarter. Get staffing referrals and improve your tech stack today. To claim one free month, visit www.staffingreferrals.com show. That's staffingreferrals.com show. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for another episode of The Staffing Show. I am super excited to be joined today by Alex Rawlings, who is the president and founder of Raw Selection. Alex, why don't you go ahead and give us a little introduction to yourself and how you got into staffing? Yeah, appreciate that, David. And thanks for having me on the podcast. So a bit of an intro into me. I think like a lot of people in the recruitment industry, more so previously, less so now, fell into the industry, passionate about the outdoors, wanted to be an outdoor instructor, realized you can't really make a lot of money unless you <laughs> Bear grills. came back home with my tail in between my legs and applied for loads of jobs. And I got a phone call from a company I'd never heard of, from a business I'd forgotten I'd applied for along the big myriad. And they said, we've spoken to a person of a person who knows you and thinks you're a decent guy. Do you want to come in for an interview about a recruitment role? So naturally, did loads of research and ended up in what regard as hell placing dentists and dental nurses and <laughs> all, right. all sorts of different bits and pieces. And one of my stories is I remember doing 10 placements and not doing 10,000 pounds or just doing 10,000 pounds in revenue or something like that. I did that, did well, and then moved to another recruitment firm and did work on placing technical salespeople in the UK. Was one of those firms that a lot of people in recruitment have that kind of trench in their career. It teaches you really well, but the culture is horrible. It's just about beating you up. The environment's terrible. Everyone takes calls on their cell and goes around the corner because the boss is an arsehole. I hope I can swear on this if I can't. Yeah, you're good. I then found an opportunity in a kind of mid to senior level recruitment business. And that's really where my career began to build. And you know, within three days of me starting within that business, my boss sat me down and he said, look, good start. Appreciate it. Three days, you've been committed. You're on the phone all day, et cetera. And he said, you know, you're going to have a difficult decision to make at some point. It's whether you stay here or you start up your own firm. And I thought, Jesus, this guy's good at reading people. And then two and a half years later, getting frustrated with management, frustrated with growth of the business, et cetera, my missus finally decided to kick my miserable ass and get me going. And then I started a firm, obviously called Raw Selection. I didn't think too much about the name. It does sound like pet food. Somebody thought it was a porn channel. <laughs> that says more about you than it says about me. But I didn't want Rawlings and partners or whatever else within recruitment. I wanted raw talent, but somebody had stolen it. So raw selection was born. 
and I went off about trying to get my first deal and my first fee. I went into a brand new market, brand new industry, never recruited in this space before, but I was driven by wanting to do bigger fees and certainly wanting to do senior executive and genuine executive recruitment because I don't know what it's like in the States, David, but there's loads of firms out here and they all claim to be executive search and they're placing salespeople, sales engineer, technical salespeople in the US in the most part in the UK. And they call themselves executive search and they do no different than any other recruitment firm. It just sounds fancier than anything else. So that's what we went after. And nearly five years in, I'm still here. That's an awesome story and love the outdoor component of it as well. And so getting raw selection off the ground. So you went into executive search. One of the things that we just launched our state of staffing report. And one of the things we learned was that the fastest growing firms are niching the market. They're going after a fairly differentiated strategy and identifying who they're going to go after specifically. I hear exec search all the time, ask them who they work with. And they're like, well, anybody who needs an executive. <laughs> you are about as niched out as I've seen with a focus on private equity. How did you end up going down that path? So what I wanted to do is I want to play CEOs and CFOs. One reason was fee sizes. Second reason was probably ego. I was really keen <laughs> to tell people that I placed chief execs. I think we've all had that conversation. You sat back, you're having a discussion and someone's like, oh, you're a recruiter. Oh, you're a bit of an arsehole. I bet you couldn't get me a job. And I remember having loads of those discussions and I was pretty vocal. I'd say what I think sometimes to my own detriment. And I just said to Spurts, and I remember someone said to me, can you get my partner a job? And I was like, well, probably not. But what does she do? She's a hairdresser. You recruiters, you know, you place everything. <laughs> and it was early stages. And I was just like, oh, I'm afraid I only place CEOs, CFOs, COOs, or investment professionals in private equity. And you won't be able to afford my fees. The guy's face dropped and made me feel good for about five minutes. And then I realized it was my own ego. But you've got to go niche. You know, the narrow niche, the broader your appeal. I don't know who said that, but well done, whoever it was. Mile deep, inch wide type process. And even within private equity, we are so broad and we focus just on lower and middle market firms. And we have our portfolio division that specializes in industrial. And then we've got portfolio division we're just building out, which is healthcare, life sciences, and working across that spectrum. And then we have our investment professional and back office team doing placements for investment professionals and back office team. So even though we sound niche, we are broad and we are just narrowing, narrowing, narrowing in our top performing the business. And I'm happy to give this away, guys. It's a great market, specializes in aerospace and defense, but machine components businesses backed by private equity, sub 150 million. There is only about 300 to 400 companies in the US and that's where he makes all his money from. That's amazing. And so you have experience in the dental tech sales. So you've got a kind of a broad experience of different recruiting roles. What is unique about kind of private executive search NP? I suppose what's the difference here is because what's happening when these businesses are actually being acquired. So for those that don't understand private equity or haven't come across it before, you've got a three to six year window in most private equity firms where they need to take a business to an exit. And what these guys typically like to do is buy a business that's doing about 10 million in revenue and then exit that business when it's doing about 100. But they don't want to take a 1,000 years overdoing it. They want to do it ideally in five years. And therefore, what we're looking for is executives that obviously do a lot of add-on acquisitions, but they've got to operate with speed and pace. You're not sitting in a business for 10 years and taking the business from 30 to 35 million and thinking you're a hero. This is fast-paced business to get businesses growth and building a really strong team out. And the nature of that means that guys from, and I don't know the private word particularly well anymore, but you know, if you work for Emerson 
technologies or you work for GE, about 99 out of 100 times, those executives will fail because they're full of bureaucracy and politics and bullshit. It's finding people that can operate at that pace and that's where your nicheness is and the value that that brings, the multi-million dollar exits, multi-million pound, multi-million euro exits that happen on that means that you know we get to do some good work, quick pace, and hopefully put some brilliant executives into companies and get paid pretty well for it. And so you're basically partnering with the PE firm saying, hey, when you buy your next company, we'll find the executives for whoever it is that you're purchasing. Are you working with them pre-acquisition or is it always post-acquisition? Yeah, absolutely both. So we'll work yeah. with them pre and post whilst they're doing due diligence. We've done searches for that. And then obviously when they've got a business, we do a lot of replacement positions. Awesome. And what's the kind of size and growth of Ross Selection? Yeah, so we started up as a usual stuff, bedroom type recruiter, wondering yeah. if I was ever going to make any money. Fortunately, scored pretty quickly. Got a retainer on the board within my first four weeks and that made me feel like I was a million dollars. <laughs> and then we're five years in. So we're currently about 10, 11 people headcount. And our goal, and I don't like sharing this because it just sounds like every other recruitment firm in the world that wants to be the biggest and the best. But our goal is to be the biggest within private equity executive search and to be the go-to provider. Now, I apologize for anybody else that's heard that bullshit before and gone with it, but that's about building infrastructure within a business. And if you think about how recruitment businesses are founded, run, driven, and developed, they lack technology, they lack systems, they lack processes. And that's what we've spent kind of the initial five years of building out the platform. It's still not perfect, but it's about building that platform of a business, a bit like a manufacturing plan, a bit like a technology company, and taking bits from other places to grow that organization significantly. So we moved into a new office during COVID, best time for cheap real estate. And we're about to move again. And we're looking at offices in New York, potentially California. And we'll look at offices in Europe and most likely London in order to grow the business. And we've done very well in taking graduates, sales experienced people, training them in recruitment and taking them through the process and making them really good. Yeah. And so as you're kind of talking about the infrastructure, I know you and I, through conversation, you'd mentioned earlier about the importance of training and management and staffing. What are some of the things that you guys are doing differently, either from an infrastructure perspective or when it comes to training and management? Yeah. So I'll kick off on the training side. The first thing we're doing differently is we're actually training our people, which (laughs) most recruitment firms claim to do. And anybody who's listening to this and isn't in recruitment, ask for proof of their training program. And if it's in a classroom for two weeks or they don't have it or it's in your boss's head, it doesn't exist or it's probably shit. So what we've done is we've built out a training program because of the people that we play against, which kudos to Egon Zender, Russell Reynolds, Spencer Stewart, we come up against all the time and all the rest of them, Hydric and the big kind of Shrek firms. And we've got a 25-year-old guy here that's our top biller and earning stupid amount of money. But because we're coming up against those people and where we're taking them from, you have to develop people properly, training them both obviously in recruitment, obviously in their industry, but also in sales. So building out that program. And I think that's what a lot of firms don't do right. And our guys are still getting trained, even though they've been here for two and a half years. They still train every single day. Think Grant Cardone, if anybody knows who he is. or Yeah. Cardone or whatever, without the rah-rah clapping and all the rest of the (laughs) the morning meeting, we implement that and we run through it and we teach people properly how to pitch a retainer, how to identify pain, how to identify problems. And then we also get external trainers in, work with our 250K, 500K and plus billers that then get trained and developed by external sources. 
And that's an ever-going process, always getting upgraded. And then we've got secondary level training for our experienced people. And then we have a management training and development program for our managers in the business because first-line billing managers are the toughest job of any industry. So give them the tools to do so. For all of the content for training, I know a lot of staffing firms want to have more training, want to have more education in place, finding the time or the resources to actually implement that and come up with that content. How are you coming up with the process or the content for it? Yes, we've built it. Every time we train somebody, we upgrade the process. We create scripts, we create examples of calls. So if you're listening to this and you're a founder of a business, it's probably likely you're damn good on the phone. So record that call and use it as training. Then treat somebody how to sell a retainer. When you mess up a call, record that. Put that in your training program. Build out elements of that. I mean, we've got a lot more in from there. There's so much stuff online, so many people. There's Jordan Belfort's training that you can bring into your own training. There's tons of stuff. Gary Vaynerchuk's a really good example of what he shares about social media and content. Document what you're doing instead of creating. There's always going to be an element of creation with regards to training. But if you document what you're doing and then build that into a platform, then you're killing two birds with one stone and you're creating it, but without actually having to create it because you're already doing it. And that's what we've kind of built a business on the back of is that kind of training program. And then we just continually evolve and develop it and keep building it. The management side's a bit tough and that's a lot of one-on-one discussions, but certainly in the initial training and development side, that's what you've got to build. On the management side, are you using any operating systems like traction, scaling up, or where do you get your management skill set to grow your business? One thing that I've done is I've never had to, and apologize if one of my old bosses is listening here. There's one of you that's all right. So you take that as you will. But I've studied management and leadership and I'm only just learning and the glass is full. I'm here with regards to where I'm getting through it. I take from all that kind of stuff and I'm going to forget the guy's name. But he's the famous recruiter from Australia and he's always on LinkedIn and his name's completely escaped me. His book's got loads of good stuff with regards to implementing stuff in management and also implementing stuff into your training program. So I just read, 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 read taking elements from here. We use the Ken Blanchard situational leadership. All of my managers know S1, S2, S3, S4, when to deploy that, how to deploy that. So it's building those elements in, how to utilize KPIs professionally, not beat you up and make you hate your job, actually use them to develop people, how to drive people on goals and how to position feedback in a radically candid perspective. So all those things that we see that Google have created, Twitter was the radical candor was Kim Scott. All these elements, all I'm doing is pulling this together and utilizing that knowledge and building it in a training program. And then eventually we'll have, well, we're in discussion with, I think, Leadership West, which we won't have heard of because it's a UK firm, to then come in and help us actually with further development of those managers and further building. But what I've found is when you go straight to outside help, you're usually at a loss. You need to build the foundations first within your business and build the credibility and then top up the management skill set. Otherwise, you're just spending money on people when they don't have the foundations. And usually the training companies will only be with them for a day, a month or whatever else. And it's just not enough to build. So build it, the training internally, and then top up with external resources. Uh, That's great. And you also mentioned that you're very process-oriented and trying to focus on the technology side of things. Are you open to sharing what you guys are doing from a tech stack perspective or anything unique you're doing on that front? Yeah, so something we've just looked at and reviewed, even though I think our actual tech profiles is pretty good. 
some of the new stuff I'll throw out there, which we're just about, and I don't know all the details of it because I've also got kind of marketing slash operations manager here that helps me with building out some of that stuff. But SourceWell is one of them. If you're looking to do outreach, we're going to use it for our actual internal recruitment. We're going to use it for our sourcing process for us to be able to build a consistent messaging process rather than just the one message, connection message, forget about it, they connect with you. If you've got LinkedIn sales navigator or recruiter, you've got two inboxes, people don't see it, they don't exist. So that kind of follow-up from there. We use Salesforce as a CRM. If you're on Bullhorn, Vincherry, there's all this kind of stuff. You custom build your platform and you build it on Salesforce or another custom-built CRM. You are ahead. You know, we don't use paper. We don't write things down, which I don't think is particularly tech-focused and yeah. innovative. But you know, if you're writing stuff down on paper, you lose every bit of information you gain. So we have every candidate's ever been interviewed in the business. I want to run a salary survey. I press a button. You know, I want to amend a candidate. I want to change them. I want to do anything with them. You know, I want to do a search. And we're doing, you know, three biggest deals we've done in the business are all off the CRM and they're all sent to the client within 24 hours. So that's what you want as a business to be able to replicate that. And they could have been interviewed two, three, six years ago and were able to therefore deliver on that. So I'd say the main important one is get a decent CRM and build it to you and build out the platform on it. And then I'd probably say very simply Trello and yeah. not very tech focused, but if you don't have virtual assistants, why? Yeah. All our administration is done outsourced. You know, the guys don't know how to put accounts onto the system. And sometimes they try and they piss me off because they don't tag everything correctly. <laughs> so they don't do that. You send it to an email, it goes to the research slash virtual assistant team, and they do that. And we manage them all through Trello and it's all done through cards and we can do all the research platform for it. And I apologize, guys. I can't go for every bit of t- I'd love to go through every bit of tech, but yeah, no, that's great. how do you build all those processes in together to utilize that tech? So that's a little bit of an example of what we use right now, but also what we're also considering with kind of SourceWell. There's something else called OneUp, and I couldn't tell you what it does, but we're about to trial it. <laughs> train you all, train you all, train you all. We're just about to look at deploying that, which is about building an online platform for induction and training program for us to grow the business. And then awesome. the usual stuff like Dropbox and stuff, which nobody's interested in and hopefully you've all heard of. Yeah, absolutely. So we kind of touched on the infrastructure, training, management, technology, in terms of how you go to market and how you differentiate yourself when it comes to actual search or delivering value to the PE firms you partner with. What are some of the tactics or strategies that you put in place that kind of you feel make you, I've already gone through a few that make you unique, but is there anything else that you guys do that think is especially uh, differentiated compared to your competitors? Yeah, I think it's simplistic. When you try and sell yourself, I can't remember who was that said it, but I was at a business show in the UK and the guy was at the front talking about USPs. And I was like, yes, come on, we need some new USPs. Yeah, yeah. Great talent. We find the best people, all the other bullshit. And if you hear yourself saying that, great. Every other recruitment firm's got the best network, the best talent, the best X, Y, and Z. So obviously we sell on our process and how we actually fill searches. You know, we've got a 15 step process of how we go through that to work with clients. And we can go through that in detail of actually what are the steps. Most clients aren't interested, but you can then position that. Key things is our transparency. For anybody who wants to know what we work with, with regards to our terms and positioning, it's all on our website. Very clear how we work on a contingent, how we work on a retained, how we work on our engaged fee, and what that all looks like is all really clear and transparent. Never do we tell a client, well, let me speak to you about your vacancy And then I'll be able to decipher whether or not I'm going to charge 31% or 32%. It doesn't really matter. It's just how much pipeline I have. You know, it's all that bullshit that I was trained in and, oh yeah, never share the upfront. Share on the upfront. Share what you do. This is how we work. This is what we do. And being really clear and transparent and have something that is that 
interest generating, nobody else does, that guarantee within your business. And that's like, right, bang, this is what we do. This is how we operate. And that complete clarity. And we do exactly what everyone else does. We find people, we source on LinkedIn, we use data, we use virtual assistants, we have X, Y, and Z, everything else that you've all got. We've got a database. Everyone's got a database of 50,000 plus. <laughs> We've got all of that, but it's how do you differentiate through communication, through good training, through understanding clients' pain, through being a specialist, and then giving the client guarantees and telling them, we'll guarantee you for your position, we'll do X, Y, and Z, and actually putting your money where your mouth is. And that is what separates firms. You know, usual knowing your market and everything else, it's just everybody else is doing it. You've got to train people incredibly well and offer something within your terms, within your positioning that's different than every other recruitment and search firm, which just does great talent. If you want to find out what that is, guys, go to the Bloody Raw Selection website, look at the client page, and you'll see the exact offering of what we offer clients. You get fuck all for contingent, (laughs) and you get a lot for our engaged and our retained services. And looking forward to seeing tables like that on loads of recruitment firms because it damn well works for us. That's one of the first things I noticed. I was going through your website earlier today and noticed the transparency on that. And it's something that I'm not used to seeing on staffing firms' websites. Ironically, about two weeks ago, I was on a private equity website and saw the exact same thing where they had their exact win ratio, their loss ratio. I was like, all right, here's exactly what we do. Here's our failures. Here's our successes, what you're getting. It really kind of sticks with you. Usually it's like, oh, I've got to dig, figure out if this person's legit, figure out what the rates are. And I love that you have that up front. With that, kind of shifting into kind of what trends that you're seeing in PE right now, and I know you're in the search side of it, but are you seeing things slow down? I mean, we're in kind of an interesting time from the economy standpoint. What are you seeing in the private equity world? Yeah, it's an interesting, interesting space at the moment. We aren't seeing a slow off from a search perspective at this stage, which means everyone just piling to private equity. But what we are seeing a slow off is payments. And I think that's really <laughs> interesting. We are chasing payment right now more than we ever have had to. And following up, people are feeling the pinch, they're feeling the pressure a little bit. There's a lot of capital on the market. A lot of capital has been printed and pushed out. You know, if you're a big Ray Dalio fan, you yeah. think the world's going to end tomorrow. Um, oh my gosh. <laughs> but, you know, he's, he's going pretty bad on this one. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've also seen his stuff before, so I'm not as worried. He didn't back Bitcoin, which depending on when this goes out, it's not doing very well today on this week, thanks to Luna. Uh, but, yeah, six you know, months from now, we'll be back. Hopefully the guy's not right on this one. But we're starting to see that slow down with regards to payment. And therefore, that's given me an indication that we may be moving. Now, I'm not an economist. I haven't got a degree. I'm one of the worst educated people in the business. So I'm not fair. I just follow yeah. what other people say. You know, the colleges yeah. and universities and everything else are going to drag us down on this one, unfortunately. We'll have a nice reset and we'll see if the US dollar gets pounded through it and we have a new currency or dominant currency. Like we used to have the Netherlands, we used to have the pound, and then we have the US dollar. Is it going to stay the same? Ask Ray Dalio, I know nothing other than regurgitating his stuff. But certainly we're starting to see a change, but searches not slowed off yet. But I'm anticipating seeing that as we run yeah. into the Q3. I think we'll see a slowdown. Yeah, it is definitely interesting times right now. What are some of the mistakes that you see people make when they're going into recruiting executive talent? If you're looking to get into this industry, I think a lot of the mistakes that people make is just not choosing the firm that they work for. I'll answer this in two ways. What are we doing actually in recruitment that's crap? And what are we doing when we're getting into it? If you're looking to get into recruitment, research the firm, ask the right questions, and actually find out about what it is that these guys are doing, how do they operate, who are the leadership team, 
How do they communicate? What have you actually got training program-wise? It can be very difficult to differentiate one firm from another because we're all the best. We're all amazing. And remember, we sell jobs for a living. So we should be good at what we do and find the manager. Management in recruitment. And I'm going to put me in this. We're all shit. So keep working on your game. If you're a manager, keep upgrading yourself. Read every book you can. Leadership, management, process, systems, whatever it is you need to be to be the best version of you. And interview your manager when you're coming into recruitment because those are the people that will make the fundamental difference to whether you are successful or not. And I've had the unfortunate position where I've not really worked for somebody that's hugely inspired me and driven me to be better within executive search, recruitment, whatever title we want to put on ourselves to make ourselves sound fancy. But interviewing for that is definitely important. I think if I look at what do I see recruiters making, it's a difficult one because we all make a lot of mistakes every day. I'd probably say, guys, we don't understand clients' pain well enough. We don't understand where they're coming from. And that's because we're not good enough salespeople. And we don't invest in sales enough in developing our own game. So fundamentally comes down to, are you investing in yourself all the time, every day, reading, developing, sales, training to be better? And if the answer of that is no, then you're going to get beaten by someone else. And that means you can't understand a client's pain well enough. You can't position the takeaway sell, that you can't read in between the lines of where they're coming from and where the issues are. And if you get searched to the end and you get pipped and you thought you're exclusive, well, you've not sold well enough. So it's about how do you understand and how do you question? So I'd probably say we just don't understand clients' pain enough because we're just not good enough at sales. With that, I mean, you mentioned Cardone earlier, but do you have any sales books that you recommend? Yeah, so a lot. But I'd probably say there's two books that everyone in recruitment needs to have read. One is Rich Recruiter because it just gives you the foundation of the formulation of what we do. There's loads of others. And I'm going to forget all the guys' names, so I apologize. But there's the Breakthrough Recruitment book as well. I can't remember the guy's name. And then there's the American guy. I'll send you afterwards. You'll go on the show, yeah. I'm sure. But there's not American guy. The Australian guy, Greg Savage. Yeah. He's written a pretty good, decent book for recruiters and recruitment managers to learn, especially business owners to learn from. But the sales book I highly recommend is Advanced Selling Strategies by Brian Tracy. Learning how to sell, learning how to go through. I don't like Grant Cardone because he comes across as a bit of a chauvinist pig. I don't like Jordan Belfort because I'm a bit too straight-laced and screwing loads of people out of money. But hellfire can those guys sell. And they've got a process of selling and a process of questioning. And listening to them every day gets you in that mindset for that and gets you through osmosis of that. Every day, listening to them talk will get you better at sales. But this closest survival guide as well would be another one I suggest you read. It just gives you that confidence, a bit too much overconfident. You'll try and overclose, but you then rein it back in a bit and then you're better from there. But advanced selling strategies, close the survival guide, rich recruiter. I said two, there's three, three books you need to read. Great recommendations. I appreciate that very much. Shifting gears a little bit, but I noticed you're in your office. You've got raw selection sign. I like the tagline, diligent. It's exactly. real. It moves. It's not a background. <laughs> Clearly you're in office and I heard that there are other people in there with you. Are you fully in office now? Or are you doing a remote at all? We have our marketing manager works remote. She works part-time and she works yeah. like two days a week or whatever, but we're back in the office. We have been for ages. I know the US is opened up and some of you guys stayed open the whole way through. UK went into lockdown. I've worked from the office for most of the process. I think it's another warning for people when you're asking that question. When we're interviewing new people to come into this industry and they want to be successful, then you need to learn by osmosis of being around the people that you're in. Not against working from home. I'm not one of these guys where Freddie's ill. I need to look after my kid. Just stay at home. Don't come in. I don't want your yeah. illness in the office. Trust your people to be able to operate, but be sat next to someone who's killing it. And you will eventually kill it. 
learn from them and absorb their information. Spend time in the morning coming in and doing training. Get in an extra half an hour earlier and do role play with one of the guys. Take the top biller out for lunch and ask them tons of questions. Be around people to be successful. And if you want to be a manager in this industry, you have to be around the people to learn and to be able to interact and to be able to engage and learn from both management, from recruitment, from selling, all those different areas. And I'm a big believer in that for people to be successful, but just give people the freedom if they want to work from home because you just want to work from home that day, then work from home. But let's get in the office and spend time with people who enjoyed being locked up at home. Certainly the UK was absolute fire down, not allowed out. You know, my dog wasn't allowed out for twice in a day. Spend that time with people and enjoy it. Balance that with working from home every now and again or working part-time from home or whatever you want to do. But guys, let's get in the office. Let's make calls. Let's get that buzz and let's enjoy what we're doing and have conversations. Recruitment related, that are football related, soccer related, if you're over your side of the pond, whatever it is, but let's enjoy what we do. In exec search, I know a lot of times, or at least historically, you'd be out meeting the people you're placing in person. Are you doing any in-person? No, we don't. Um, we do the old Zoom call. You know, I've just come off a Zoom call with a client. We do what recruiters were built to do, which is make calls. You know, we do a yeah. lot of our business in the States. Guys in the US, what you're doing, we're absolutely smashing it out there. Guys in Europe, we don't do as much in Europe as we do in the US, and we don't really do a lot here. In the UK. But yeah, we pick up the phone, we build relationships, we have conversations, and that's why we build the business. But I fundamentally agree that, you know, that face to face time that you're going to get is really yeah. important getting out yeah. of clients. But wherever we're based, our clients aren't there. I mean, if I'm based in New York, I have a client in California, Oklahoma, Washington, whatever else. So we just pick up the phone a lot, speak with people, and work hard. That's great. So now we're going to kind of transition in the next section of the podcast. I have some questions about you and your personal growth. You've already shared quite a few insights and pieces of advice for the audience, but we'll kind of jump through these questions. First one I have is advice that you wish you were given before entering the staffing industry. I'd probably say take more risks because when you're young and I entered the industry about 19, I just wish I'd just gone for it more. I wish I'd just found out about senior firms, not stayed doing 10 fees for less than 10 grand. And I'd just gone, right, who's the best in the industry? Find them and go for it. Whereas it was like, oh, I must stay here for two years because it looks good on my CV. And I must yeah. stay in this business I hate for two and a half years before I get there. Surround yourself in great people. The people are the most important part and take the risk and just, if it's crap, go find them. If you think you're good and you back yourself, go find that person and take the risk. Because when you've got kids and when you've got house and when you've got everything, I haven't got kids yet, but we'll come at some point, I'm sure. And you've got responsibilities. You can't take those risks. So take them early and get exposure and experience because that's what will fly your career more than anything else. And second that one. And in the last five years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? It comes down to belief in myself. The biggest thing that slowed the growth of this business, you know, I thought I'd do a million year one, five million year three, 20,000 million year, whatever, six. We're not there yet, but we will. Just believe in yourself with what you're doing. Have confidence in your capability. Leverage the connections and contacts that you have send check it and put your foot on the accelerator and go for it. I spent too much time with my foot on the brake, foot on the accelerator. I want to grow, but I want to be slow. I don't want to take too many risks, but just go for it. Awesome. You've already recommended quite a few books today. I can tell you're an avid reader and a learner, and it seems like it's kind of core to who you are and who the company is. Do you have any other books that you'd recommend or books that you've given out as a gift to your team? And if so, why? Yeah. So everyone who joins a business Actually, that sounds like I'm staged. But um, <laughs> everyone who joins a business, there you go, guys, come and get a free book. Everyone who joins a business gets Jim Rowan. I always pronounce that incorrectly. Jim Rowan, Jim Ron. I think it's Jim Rowan. 
they get the book, Seven Strategies to Wealth and Happiness. Now, a bit of a story behind it with you guys where I got it, but in simplistic terms, it's a bloody good book and it gives you those steps of goal setting and achieving that. I'm sat, you guys can't see it on camera, but if I go the right way, there's a bookshelf there with all my stuff that I need to read. And then there's books all over this office with bookshelves and racked up in there. You can get lost, but read the books that you need the impression of now. If you need sales, read sales. But that would be one huge book recommendation from that perspective. And if you're in management and you haven't read Ken Blanchard's One Minute Manager and then followed on with the coaching books and everything else from there, then I would highly recommend that you read that. And then if you are a human being, get all of Tony Robbins' books because they are phenomenal and just listen to the bloke because he's come from nothing and he's now worth an absolute fortune. And whether you like him or dislike him, I don't care. He's got a huge amount of value and it's only $30, 20 quid for his book. So read it. They're amazing. That's great. I think you're going to take the record for most book recommendations. I absolutely love that. Well, I could go on for a long time. I, I, I could tell. I'm, I'm the same way. We've talked a lot about success. How has a failure or apparent failure set you up for later success? Again, it comes back to that risk-taking. You've got to fuck up. Everything that happens in this business that gets wrong, I look at what have I not done to ensure this happened? We lose a deal. What have I not trained somebody in? What have I not prepared somebody to be able to do? What have I not got my managers at the level that they need to be able to operate at to support that consultant? What are we missing? Why have we not got this? Why are we struggling here? You've just got to take it on the chin. And the more you fail, the more you will succeed. We have all the values on the wall in the business and it's all sport memorabilia. Warren Buffett's on the wall. Alan Shearer's on the wall, which is a top performing football soccer player. Anthony Joshua. And we have Michael Jordan on the wall with one of the metal art posters that we've got. And that's all about making mistakes. So it reminds everyone in the team that if you're making mistakes and getting things wrong, as long as you're not repeating it over and over again, you're making progress and we are learning. That environment is very difficult to instill. And it's very confusing for people when they come in. But when you build that and you share openly your mistakes, including me, and you put it in your training, and you tell people how you've messed up a retainer pitch, and then you've got a really good one next to it, and one of them's average, that's where people go, okay, this is a safe environment. I'm going to take risks. I'm going to go for this. And someone's going to slap me on the back for having a crack. Then that's definitely the way to go. That's fantastic. Last question I have for you is, what is an unusual habit or an absurd thing that you love? Do you know what? I'm probably going to say this and I'm going to sound like a dick for it. And that's absolutely fine. But anyone who knows me knows that my hobby is my work. And I just love my hobby, which is doing this work. If someone says to me, do you want to go do this and this one there? Someone said to me, do you want to sit down in a room for a day, a week, a weekend and get some beers in? I mean, come on, let's do this properly. Spice <laughs> rum is my favorite. If anybody wants to send me spice rum as a thank you for all the advice, that's brilliant. But jokes aside, it's my work. I just love it. I love growing businesses. I love being involved in that process. I love building processes, systems. If I wasn't in recruitment, I'd probably be an operations guy somewhere getting annoyed at the salespeople. But that for me is annoying. And I apologize because I know that sounds like an absolute asshole. And you <laughs> I just love what I do. Yeah, that was fantastic. And with that, any closing comments they'd like to share with our audience? If you're in recruitment, just keep working on your game. Investing yourself is the best investment that you can make. There's loads of quotes out there. That's Warren Buffett's, but Jim Rohn, you should spend more time investing in yourself than you should on your job. So just get yourself good and eventually it will come. You will make the big money. You will be successful. Just don't be a dick when you do it. I love that. Well, Alex, it was great having you on today. Lots of insightful topics and conversation. A ton of great book recommendations. Thank you so much. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on, David. I really appreciate it. And thanks a lot. Apologize to listeners for my swearing. Part of the way I'm afraid. 
Thanks for listening to The Staffing Show. Don't forget to sign up for our newsletter at staffinghub.com to never miss an episode. Until next time.